0: Welcome to Ray Ickles' podcast about all things law, big and small. My name is Courtney Smith. My guest today is Paul Crowder. Paul is a member of Evans & Dixon LLC in Chicago and represents a variety of clients in workers' compensation cases throughout Illinois. He is a frequent lecturer and educator, providing seminars to various clients and trade groups regarding workers' compensation-related topics and is a member of the Illinois Workers' Compensation Lawyers Association. He is also the author of Chapter 1, Basic Aspects of the Workers' Compensation Act, and Ickles' 2023 edition of Workers' Compensation Practice. Our conversation ranges from procedures under the Illinois Workers' Compensation Act and Commission to the significant impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on workers' compensation attorneys. Welcome, Paul. Good morning, Paul. Thanks so much for joining us today to talk about workers' compensation.
1: Thanks, Courtney. Appreciate you having me.
0: Yes. Um, To get started, can we just talk a little bit about the basic facts of the Act, um, the components and procedure?
1: Sure. So um, the Illinois Work Comp Act, like, like many others around the country, was um, kind of born out of this um, negotiation of rights between um, employers and employees uh, many, many years ago. And basically what it is, it's a no fault system. So by, by that, there's been this negotiation of rights between employers and employees where the employee, um, does not have to prove uh, any, doesn't have to worry about negligence or anything like that. It's a, basically a no-fault system. So um, that's that's kind of the the great bargain is that the employers are giving up that whole negligence system. In return, the employees are giving up um, things like you'd have in other cases, like punitive damages, things like that. So the 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 benefits that an employee can obtain in a workers' comp case, at least in Illinois, are limited to medical lost time and permanent partial disability. So that's that's kind of the great bargain and how this works out in a no fault uh, system.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, and can we talk a little bit about the um, hearing process? Um, I know there's a Illinois form request for hearing that um, needs to be used in all cases for this. Can we talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. So uh, basically the the process is this, is that a a claim starts in Illinois when a petitioner or their attorney typically on their behalf files what's called an application for adjustment of claim. That would be the equivalent of a complaint in a civil setting. The case is then assigned to an arbitrator at the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. The arbitrator is an administrative law judge, and that person will um, ultimately hear the case if it must go to trial just as you would in a in a civil setting, um, and then just real briefly, once that decision is rendered by the arbitrator, both parties have the right to review, and that review, at least at the first level, stays again at the Illinois Workers' Compensation Commission. It's before three different commissioners. Um, well, it's a panel of three commissioners, I should say, mm-hmm. and those commissioners um, exercise original jurisdiction. So. Essentially, they get to reweigh all the evidence. So that's why you frequently will see cases appealed from the arbitration level to the commission level, because you really get a second bite at the apple if you are the non-prevailing party. After that, there are multiple, there are different layers of review at a traditional judicial setting that I could probably spend a whole other podcast on. <laughs> but that, that's that's basically the process as as to how it how it works. And then to reference what you what you had just inquired about the. Requ- the request for hearing is um, what we also reference as the STIP sheet. Mm-hmm. And that is a document that before going to trial, both parties will complete. And that that document basically has all of the issues that the parties agree on and the parties disagree on. And it makes it easier for the arbitrator because you streamline the issues. You basically say, hey, we agree on accident, we disagree on causation, or we agree on wage, or we disagree on medical bills. Um, and, and that request for hearing forum really helps, um, helps you make the issues more concise for the arbitrator to rule on.
0: Okay, interesting. So um, there's a couple of requirements for um, an injury or an accident to be um, under the workers' compensation umbrella. Um, could you kind of describe those, what would be included and what might not be included?
1: Sure. So the request for hearing form that I just referenced, which again for for regular practitioners at the commission we refer to as the stip sheet, it it really almost has the blueprint of the issues that right. you're kind of referencing. I, again, it's not every issue. There's always, as with other areas of the law, always off the wall things that come up. But if you if you were <laughs> to have the request for hearing in front of you right now, um, it, it's gonna it's it's gonna start right at the top, and it's gonna say that. Um, on such and such date, the employer and employee um, were operating under an employer-employee relationship. So that—that's mm-hmm. your, really your threshold, because sometimes we have that issue. We may say, "Well, somebody's not an employee; they're an independent contractor." So right. you've got to show that that you were a, an employee and there was an employment relationship. That's that's threshold. So once we have that, then we continue. And I'm I, as we're talking about this, I'm actually looking at the request for hearing form, and then the the second issue is going to be was there was there an accident okay and when we say was there an accident was it in the course of and did it arise out of the employment now again we could have a whole podcast on on those issues by themselves but basically in the in the most narrow sense in the course of is what it means you're in the course of your employment arising out of means that your employment exposed you to a risk greater than the general public okay and again That we could deviate onto case law, different sections, parking lots, stairs. Um, But in its broadest terms, that's what we're talking about. All right. So after that, the next issue we're going to look at is notice because the workers compact requires the employee to provide notice within 45 days of the accident. So the next issue is going to be was notice given. Uh, After that, we're going to look at causal connections. So let's say you're in the course of it arose out of you gave notice is your medical condition though, causally related to that accident, or is it something that had nothing to do with the employment? Um, and so that's gonna be the next issue. After that, we have issues such as wage, marital relationship, which could get down to dependence, medical bills, lost time, things like that.
0: Okay, it's interesting. So um, like you mentioned, like all areas of law there can, it's just such a, a huge amount of, different things that could come up. Um, so what do you kind of recommend to a person who has been injured on the job as like the first steps?
1: Well, if if you've been injured, the first thing you want to do is you want to report the injury right away. I and mean, mm-hmm. that's 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 number one. Um, you you want to make sure that and 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 sometimes I understand I'll see cases come in where um, people say, well, you know, I got hurt. I went home. I didn't think that much of it. I was hoping I was going to get better. The more we see delay in reporting, sometimes the more we become suspicious and red flags arise. So the first thing you want to do if you're hurt at work is report that injury to the employer. The second thing you want to do is, is seek medical treatment. So if you're hurt, tell, tell your, tell your employer, clearly and concisely what happened. And number two, go seek medical treatment right away and make sure that you tell that medical physician exactly what occurred, how it occurred. Sometimes people want to be stoic. I get that. I respect that, but make sure that you are, um, that you explain all the facts. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, how how delays could cause issues because who knows what could have happened between day one and day ten? Yeah,
1: that's a, that's exactly right. When there's yeah. when there's a gap in notice, and again, forty five days is a long time. But you mm-hmm. know when we see somebody if they take twenty days to report, that's still within forty five days. But mm-hmm. after twenty days, you're going to begin to wonder why did it take so long, or if you go to the doctor and you're really silent about what happened, and again. Those are, those are the sort of things that raise red flags and, and uh, sometimes have people investigate further.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, one thing you know, we have to talk about is the COVID-19 pandemic um, still having effect on everything in life and workers' compensation procedure is no different. Could you talk a little bit about what has changed because of COVID?
1: Sure. So, COVID nineteen, and I've been practicing now um, about twenty seven years. So, I can tell you that COVID um, really changed the entire practice, I, at least from my perspective. And I, and I think for those of us who've been doing this for quite a while, just to, to try to, to give you a snapshot of what what life was like before COVID, um, most of us would go to the workers' comp commission on a daily basis. I probably forty to fifty percent of the cases are in Chicago. The rest are, we call them downstate, even though that might mean upstate, west state, uh, all parts of the state. But mm-hmm. basically what would happen is a case would be set for trial. We would walk over to the commission on the trial date. And a trial date could mean anything. It could mean you're going to trial. It could mean you're pre-trying the case. It could mean you're just going to talk about the case Um cases that are more than 3 years old and in terms of filing they're known as red line cases mm-hmm. those would would automatically be set for trial we'd have to go check in on those if if you went over to the old Thompson center which is now closed mm-hmm. um, before covid on a given Tuesday or Wednesday morning you would see 200 to 300 work comp attorneys on the 8th floor milling around like it looked like a stock a stock exchange wow. and, and 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 they'd be talking about cases they'd be in lines, long lines before the arbitrator. Some arbitrators, we might stand at a physical line and just wait 45 minutes to check in before the arbitrator and tell them what's going on with the case. Um, it was kind of an, an organized uh, mess or organized chaos, but it was a system that worked. And, um, and it, was, it was a great system because it also gave us a chance to um, interact with one another. Sometimes we talk about other cases that weren't up that day Maybe if I had a case where I hadn't gotten a hold of somebody, I could go over to the commission and I'd know that person is going to be there and find them. Uh, and, and that's really how it went. I mean, it was, we were wearing a suit most days because we were going over to the commission, whether it was Chicago or Wheaton, or if you're downstate in Heron or Collinsville um, COVID obviously changed that when we couldn't get together and they created a system um, to work around that. And the system is quite efficient. And the decision was made by uh, the, the commission to keep that system in place. So the the way we now operate is when these cases come up for status and they cases come up for status once they're filed every three months. So now if a party files a request for hearing, the case is given an automatic pretrial date, okay? Before it would have been called a trial date. So all of these pretrial dates are held by WebEx. So, mm-hmm. you know, 90 to 95% of our interactions now are gonna be, um, by the WebEx platform we've been told that's not going to change even though the world is beginning to go back to normal somewhat post-COVID and that's because the the parties I've been told for the most part like the efficiency of this new system um, instead of standing in line for 45 minutes to an hour at the commission um, you know my case is up at 10 a.m for a WebEx conference you know today or tomorrow and the way it works is, is that the arbitrator is going to hear the parties. You're going to basically vet the issues. If it can't be resolved, it's going to be set for a specific trial date the following month. So those days of hundreds of people lining up at the commissioner are, are gone. Um, almost everything we do now is by video. On some rare occasions, we will have in-person pretrials, but that's few and far between. For the most part, the only time we see each other physically in person is if we're going to try a case. and As with other areas of the law, um, I think the amount of trials has kind of thinned down over the years, too, as most cases tend to get resolved before Mm -hmm. trial. Sorry, there's a long answer to that. No, I,
0: I think that's fascinating how, I mean, talk about a complete change from how it used to be. And it's so interesting to me that they've decided to make it permanent. So.
1: Yeah. If it works, it works. <laughs> there's advantages and disadvantages. I mean, some of the advantages are, especially for um, smaller practitioners, a lot of petitioners attorneys, um, they don't have to worry about, before they'd have to worry, how am I going to be in Joliet, Waukegan, Wheaton, Chicago? And now you can handle cases in all those places on the same day virtually. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it's a it's a, lot less, a lot less travel it is more efficient um i do think there's some somewhat of a loss in the, the human connection uh, and i think it'll be interesting in the future um, to see how new attorneys of this practice develop because it really doesn't affect folks like myself who have been doing this a long time we have long-standing i think relationships with one another that help move files from having seen each other at the commission for you know all those years right but for new folks that are just going to be practicing in a largely virtual world it'll be interesting to see um, how that practice develops. I I would think it would be a little bit, a little bit tougher.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it will be interesting. Um, maybe you have to develop some sort of meetup or something <laughs> so you guys can yeah. socialize. <laughs>
1: and, and they do, though they, they've they the work comp lawyers association is a great organization for practitioners that offers a lot of social events, but you know, there's also a large segment of folks that don't, don't participate in that. And I think mm-hmm. being at the commission every day was kind of their, their, yeah. their social meetup.
0: Okay. Well, kind of um, along the same lines of the future of, the workers' compensation, practitioners, and um, the act itself. Do you see any other issues coming down that could be changing anytime soon? Um, I'm not aware
1: of any okay. uh, current pending legislation that, that's, that's being rumored um, to come around. Um, I mean, every now and then you'll see significant decisions come down from the Illinois Supreme Court there was a case about two or three years ago called McAllister for anybody listening. And if you're fairly new to workers comp and you're looking at the issue of accident, you're going to want to read the McAllister decision. That was probably one of the bigger decisions we've had in the last two years, but, but, but that was about two or three years ago.
0: Okay. Okay. And just um, to kind of start wrapping things up a little bit, is there anything um, you wanted to mention that we didn't go over? off
1: the top of your head um no I mean I think the the only thing I would I would suggest for for folks maybe who are new to workers comp is um there's nothing wrong with referring to the workers comp act after 27 years I still look at it frequently I've got copies in my briefcase on my desk I look at it all the time And, and like other areas of the law you the more you know the real this you also realize what you the less you know, because you, you you might say, well, I've done this a long time, and then some novel issue comes up, and you want to have the act there. The other thing I'd suggest for folks that are new to workers' comp is there's something called the rules of practice before the workers' comp commission, mm-hmm. um, and that is a, a bunch of rules that are promulgated by the commission per the legislature per per the act um, that that kind of go hand in hand with the work comp statute. And there are a lot of procedural issues, but there's a lot of what I would say, like kind of little kernels of gold in there that might help people in their practice if they have questions, so look at the rules of practice, look at the work compact um no matter how long you've been doing it.
0: okay, yeah, I'll put links to both those in the description for the podcast for anyone who wants to give a full read of those things, so that'll be excellent, well. Like I said, I think this is a really fascinating area of law. I imagine the cases can be so varied that it keeps you on your toes. So I very much appreciate you taking the time to discuss it with us and give us your wisdom on it.
1: Thanks again for having me, Courtney. I I appreciate it.
0: Okay. Thank you for listening to NRAE. If you would like to learn more about IICLE, its programs, or its publications, please visit iicle.com. Thank you.